who run over nails. This is the Press Box. I bought the I bought the package at the tire store that I go to. With Grainy and Bischoff. Where I can go back and get them fixed for free all the time <laughs> if you pay me the extra money. That's how many times I get a nail in my tire. <laughs> On ESPN Las Vegas. Yay! Georgia just scored again. <laughs> Did anyone else fall asleep during the game? Uh, switched it for yeah. a while, and then I came back to it. But yeah, it was, it was so bad. See, was, this is why we live in Las Vegas, and you guys fail. You gotta, you gotta make some bets on something. Like yeah. I just watched this with some friends, and all we did was everybody got two numbers, zero to nine, and whatever the final score total was, the last digit that person won all of the money. So every single point was entertaining. And I won on a missed extra point by Georgia on their last field or last touchdown. Yay. Yay. It was fun. It was great. Enjoyed every second of it. The more breaking news is Tyler has friends. (laughs) Go bet on sports (laughs) if you're going to watch them. Then you won't be unentertained. The first bite. Have you met my wife? (laughs) You could win money, Ed. You could win. I won 80 bucks. You could lose money, Ed. <laughs> exactly. Tyler won 80 bucks. That could have been you that gave Tyler even if, 80 bucks. Even if I won, I wouldn't see it. The first bite. We what? just keep talking when we make you keep hitting the first bite sounder. <laughs> the first bite. That one I had potted down by accident. Will the Raiders give Josh Jacobs a long-term extension? I actually think they're going to tag him. I think they're going to franchise tag him. Uh, franchise tag would be $10.1 million. Uh, and That is one of the options on the poll. And um, if you're unaware, the franchise tag is effectively a one-year contract that makes Jacobs. He's he That's his contract, right? He can't. He's not a free agent if you get franchise tagged. That's just what your contract is. You can sit out if you're Jacobs. You can hold out and hope for a different deal, but that's right. what your contract right. is. Um, 10.1 would make him the franchise tag is supposed to make you one of the higher paid players at, at your position. position. Yeah. Um, so there is some benefit to it, a player getting franchise tagged, but you don't get any long-term security. Josh McDaniels yesterday mentioned that they have discussed a potential contract extension with Josh Jacobs. He also said things like Josh Jacobs embodies what a Raider should be. Does any of that matter? No. Do you think to the front office? Does any of that matter? Like Josh McDaniel says, oh, he embodies what it means to be a Raider. Does that like try to indicate we want to keep this guy around? I mean, I wonder if uh, they care about what the locker room thinks. And I would think at the very, very top, they just want someone they think can be productive. I mean, because the locker room loves him. And I heard this a couple weeks ago that if you don't re-sign him, you could have backlash in the locker room, but what does that really mean? They're all under contract once they make the team. Their job is to play, and their job is to do the best they can at their at their job. Um, so, no, I think at the top, you're thinking, you know, how healthy is he? Can he give us – I don't think he's in a lead league in Russian again, but how productive can he be? And that should be probably their number one concern. What kind of running back is he going to be? Well, let me ask you that. He leads the league in rushing. Neither of us think he's going to lead the league in rushing again. What are the chances that he has another season over a thousand rushing yards? Given his history, 
uh, for the four years, I think that um, he could have over a thousand yards. I just don't think he's going to lead the really leading rush. What do you have? Sixteen hundred plus this right. year? Yeah, yeah. I think I think he's still healthy enough to where he could get over a thousand. And is that enough for them up top to say we're going to give him ten million dollars as a running back? So the franchise tag isn't terrible because from the team perspective because there's no long-term commitment. You're basically paying Josh Jacobs top of the market money at the running back position, uh, but it's only one year. And if, you know, Josh Jacobs isn't any good or suffers injuries like all running backs do, then you're not committed to him in 2024 or beyond. I think the Raiders are going to make a mistake and end up tagging him too. And I think that's a mistake because they know they shouldn't give a running back very much money. That's why they walked in here and didn't give Josh Jacobs, didn't pick up his fifth year option because they, they know like you can do how the, you can look at how the Patriots have handled running backs over the years when they don't pay guys. You can look at the NFL as a whole where running backs are getting paid less and less that the long-term deals aren't there for running backs across the league. And then you look at how they came in and didn't give them the fifth year option. They know McDaniels and Ziegler. know they shouldn't be giving a running back big money and they shouldn't be giving a running back a long-term extension. I don't even think they should tag him because that's $10 million that you could spend elsewhere when you can, in, the whole point of running backs is you can get the same production or close to the same production from a million dollar guy that you can get from the $10 million guy. I don't think they should tag what, him. Like Zamir White? Zamir White, whoever it is, go out and free agency and sign some guy that's 26 that hasn't gotten a lot of carries in his career for a million, $2 million. And that's it. Damian Harris former Patriot. He's a free agent this offseason. He's going to be, I think he turns 26 uh, this coming up year. Go sign Damian Harris to a two-year deal worth $5 million or whatever it is and make him and Zamir White your one and two running backs. There's no there's no need in the NFL for one guy to carry the ball as much as Josh Jacobs did this year. That's not something that really happens outside of like Derrick Henry and Jonathan Taylor. Good job. Right? Like, there's not that many backs that just get that many carries because it's not the best way to run an offense. And that's what the Raiders did this year because Jacobs was really good. I Here's the thing. I We know the Raiders know. We know this front office knows they shouldn't give money or long-term commitment to a running back. I think they're going to fall into the trap and give him the franchise tag anyways because I think they're going to look at it and say, well, he was really good, and we're, we we can't really get rid of him because the fan base might be mad, or the locker room might be mad, or hell, maybe even Mark Davis might be mad. Like I think they're going to fall into the trap of giving him the franchise tag when, in reality, they should let Josh Jacobs walk and spend next to no money at that position. I don't next think year. they should be thinking in those terms, but I'm not saying you're wrong that they will be thinking in those terms. I just think they should be thinking in terms of how productive he's going to be. Does Mark Davis have any say on Josh Jacobs' return? Well, I think he has an opinion about it. I think they asked him about it. There's just like they asked him about Derek Carr, and he had a strong opinion about that. Did they? Let me ask you this on Carr. Did they ask Mark Davis about Derek Carr, or did Mark Davis tell them what to do when Derek Carr got benched? I think he had a very strong opinion about it. So if he has a very strong opinion about Josh Jacobs, McDaniels and Ziegler listen, don't they? I think they do. So if, in all seriousness, so, if Mark so Davis, if Mark Davis says we need to keep him, if he walks down and says I want to sign him to an extension, do you think they do it? I think they talk him into the franchise tag. Probably, I think so too. Like the franchise tag is what makes money. the most sense. 
Yes. If you're the Raiders. If, if you're if, bringing him back. If you're trying to, hey, we didn't lose him type thing. Right. Is there a chance Jacobs holds out if he's tagged? Uh, it was interesting what he said yesterday that he had to know what's out there for him um, and what he's worth. So I don't think he would hold out if he got $10 million. You know, I, I don't think he'd hold out. He might not be the happiest guy in the world, but for a guy who didn't have his fifth-year option picked up and a guy who said, hey, I have plenty of money, and he has said that, you know, more than once in, in these media scrums, I don't think he'd hold out. Might not be happy about it. I mean, look, he wants a long-term deal. Right. Why wouldn't you? Anybody wants a long-term deal. Anybody wants security. I just don't think if he got tagged and they get $10.1 million, he would not show up. Like, I don't think he would do that. Based on what we've seen him say, I think he plays on the franchise tag and doesn't ever complain about it either. Like, I think he just plays. Not outwardly, not yeah. publicly. Yeah. Like, I mean, his, right, his agent or whatever, they might be like, hey, we'd like to get the long term deal done. But I think he. How do you tweet a sword on a running back's back? <laughs> <laughs> they don't need pictures of it. That just happens to them when they're running. Um, it, I think he, I think he plays on the franchise tag. And I think that's ultimately what happens here. I am curious to know if the Raiders have had discussions with him about a, uh, uh, an extension that more than one year, obviously I am curious to know, like what, what would they be offering? Because if the franchise tag is one year, $10 million is your long-term extension. Are we talking three years at like seven or eight a year with two of those three years guaranteed? guaranteed? To get him to like fourteen and yeah. sixteen so instead like of a, the ten, yeah. So you like, let's say, fifteen millions guaranteed on a three-year deal. Over the ten, yeah. Eh, I don't know if there's any more than that. Yeah, because because again, that's the key here. You, if the Raiders gave Jacob some like five-year extension with three or four years guaranteed, it'd be a terrible contract. Unless he's getting paid like two million, it'd be a terrible contract because. The odds that Josh Jacobs is still a high-end running back in three years is extremely low. That's mm-hmm. the odds for like basically odds for most, most running, running back. back. Right, you come into the league, your first four seasons need to be your most productive seasons, and then there's the occasional Derrick Henry who's like, oh yeah, that guy somehow is still good. Right, seven or eight years later. But for the most part, when you have your career year at running back, you got like two more, and then. The, de- the decline comes, and it's pretty steep there. So it, it can't be that type of long-term extension. So I'd have to guess the Raiders are saying, hey. Two years, maybe. Yeah, what if we do three years, two of it's guaranteed, and it's six to $8 million a year? So it le- on this hypothetical, right. if you're Jacobs, would you rather do that to where you get two years guaranteed money is like $15 million, Or would you rather bet on yourself Play on the franchise tag, get ten million, and then be a free agent. And try I think to make he'd more. rather have the security of the two years guaranteed. I think uh, so give, too. Given whatever, given all that he said. Yeah. Again, this is him in media scrums and in the middle of a year, not wanting to cause any kind of upheaval, and him knowing everything he said is is printed and talked about. So, I think he has said all the right things that he wants to be Raider. He wants to come back. Um, so I think he'd rather have this. I mean, I'm saying security. But it is five million. If you, if it's the numbers you're saying, it's five million dollars more than he would get. Right. So I think he'd rather have that. And I think if you're a running back, that's what you should want. And I think the, that's what his agent should want. Yeah. The most 
guaranteed money is what you should be searching as a running back. Mm-hmm. Kind of regardless of how many years are attached to it, just what's the most guaranteed money I'm going to get. Yeah. Because it's such a, um, you know, revolving door of a position where you're basically, you can be done in a hurry. Um, were you there when Josh Jacobs got the award from the media? I was talking to Max Crosby. Oh, I was going to say, I saw the video of Paul Gutierrez uh, handing out the yep. award. I can't remember the name Pro of the Football award. Writers President for our yeah. chapter. But uh, he won won the award for being professional with, with the, the media. media. Yeah, which is a great award. And so Jacob said yesterday that it was going to go in his man cave. Yeah. Do, do you think it actually goes in his man cave? Yeah, because he had talked about before when he got um, Player of the Week, I think, in the NFC. That he didn't have much for his man cave, so he got something finally to put in it. So I think this goes in it too. Oh, he's racking up now. He's got. Does he get? He, so he got a plaque from the media. Do they I don't? Do they get a trophy or anything for leading their league in rushing? Like, does the NFL send out a plaque to say you led the league in rushing yards? I have no idea about that. I have no idea about that. If they but, don't, he should go get one made himself. Yeah, I was going to say for the man cave. <laughs> Can't we get one made <laughs> for the man cave? You're the press box leading rusher. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I just love the idea that in the last two weeks he's he's won the rushing yardage crown and the media award, and we and he says the media award's going in his man cave, and he may or may not get an award for leading the league for in leading rushing. league in rushing. Because here's the other question on that: is if you lead the league in rushing and get a plaque what stats would you get a plaque for? Like if the NFL is sending out plaques for leading the league in certain stats, where do they stop? Doesn't, isn't his rushing yards what his rushing yards are? No, no, no. I mean like, okay, they send out a plaque because you led the league in rushing. What stats would they send plaques out for? Oh, oh. Like does the guy who led like the league in rushing yards, get one? rushing sacks. But also does the guy who lead the league in rushing touchdowns right. get a separate one? That's why I'm not so certain they would send right. that plaque. Does the guy that leads in sacks and tackles for tackles loss? Tackles for loss, get one, no. Does interceptions and force fumbles no. and fumble recoveries? I don't think there's that many plaques in the uh, in the mail room. So maybe they don't send out any plaques for leading the league in a statistical category. Maybe he's got to go make his own plaque. Maybe it's one of those certificates. <laughs> what did they give Drew Brees when they stopped the game? Did they give him like a special ball? I think they gave him a football with yeah. the with uh, numbers or whatever on yeah, it. Yeah, that's no fun. All right, coming up next, we'll talk about the worst national championship game ever. Dejon Edwards in the backfield. Play fake. Stet sets up to throw. Pressure coming on. Wide open. McConkey reaches up high. Touchdown. Touchdown, McConkey. Nobody near him. Bennett takes the snap in the shotgun. Throws for the corner. Brock Bowers one-on-one. Caught. Touchdown. He ate him alive. Falls down into the end zone. Six more for Georgia. 32 seconds to go. Bennett to throw. Right angle. One-on-one coverage. And caught. I think. Yeah. Touchdown, Mitchell. He's still fighting the guy. TCU ended up with the ball when they came out of the pile, but the officials say touchdown. We're on the uh, TCU 14-yard line. Bennett to throw, lobs it to the right corner. There's McConkey. He got on his donkey and made a sliding catch in the right corner. Touchdown. Bowers as the lead blocker in that split backfield. Bennett's going to take it and stroll into the end zone. Touchdown. Student body left, snapping to my athletic quarterback. Get a couple of lead blockers out. TCU acts like they've never seen that play before in their life as nobody was there. How did TCU lose that badly? Moment got too big for a man, and you could tell right away. Very, 
Well, they both had false starts in the first place. So the moment got too big for Georgia for one play. And then the moment wasn't very big for them. But, uh, yeah, they just they fell behind and it, it just tied away, man. I just think it got too big for them. That, But that was not just a blowout. Like that, no, that was, was not beat down. That was not UNLV gets a million dollars to go to Michigan and lose loses. or Notre Dame and lose 35. To that like was 13. worse. Yes. That was worse yes. than UNLV going on the road and playing this game because For a million bucks. Michigan's like, we could have done that. No, Ohio State and Michigan are probably sitting there. Well, <laughs> Missouri, they were up 10 on Georgia at one point. They're like, we could, we really did do that. That was so here, like 65 to seven. It was the first time all year Georgia scored 60 or more in a game, right? It they played 15 games, Georgia did. Ten teams scored at least seven points on them. The 58-point margins, the largest margin of victory Georgia had all season. And if you go back the last two, since they've gone back to back, there's only been one other game with a larger uh, margin of victory for Georgia in the last two, and that was a 62 nothing win over Vandy last year. That wasn't just a beatdown. That was the biggest beatdown Georgia's had in two years, basically. And winning two national championships. I do not understand how it was that I just bad TCU had what three good plays the entire yeah. game one to get them down to get their first touchdown and when then he underthrew them right and then the actual touchdown and then they yeah. forced a punt on the first drive of the second half right and that was like I I honestly do not understand how it was that bad that was atrocious they had to go find the Georgia punter He's like, what? <laughs> I'm sleeping over here. I haven't been, I haven't been in the game forever. <laughs> it was like I I still do not believe how it was that bad. I don't get like TCU, whatever. Not as good as the elite teams in college football, even though they just beat Michigan. I I got it, but that should have led to a a 28 point loss, right? Not a 50. They lost by eight touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, it was just... It was, I fell asleep. <laughs> we switched the channel. We came back to it. Had to come back to it. Um, not good for the uh, for the son who goes to TCU. Uh, boy, he was depressed. Watched it in the arena there. Said most people were gone at halftime. Oh, he went... Oh. Watched it in the arena. Yeah. They had the uh, the watch party for the school. That's that's tough. Oh. I mean, it wasn't tough at 10 to 7. They're probably thinking, hey, it's 10 to 7. And then four you plays later, see, it was 17 to 7. Yeah, you could see real early that um, Pat Forty tweeted, like, within uh, two drives, this has the feeling of Alabama Notre Dame. It wasn't even that. It was much worse than that right. one. And Alabama Notre Dame was a blowout. Right. That's what I just do not understand is how it was that bad. Like, TCU, again, they didn't look like UNLV does when UNLV no. plays these teams. They just got obliterated. It was unreal. I mean, Georgia brings in their backups, and their backup running back goes untouched yeah. from 20 yards out twice yeah. for touchdowns. i blown away at how TCU got beat by eight touchdowns in a game. Um, I did find it hilarious that Kirby Smart used his timeouts for curtain calls in the fourth quarter. He's getting those guys off the getting those guys off the field. That is little, one of uh, the funniest things I've seen in a college cheers. football you game. Gotta, you got to use them. I mean, you don't get to it's, keep them after it, the yes. game. Yeah, you, is, don't, you don't want to leave them out there. One of the funniest things I've ever seen. 
is we're winning so badly. I'm going to run Stetson Bennett out for one snap in the fourth quarter and then call a timeout so he can leave the field. And the funny thing is he didn't tell anybody he was doing that. So he calls timeout and his whole team starts to walk to the sideline and he has to yell at all of them and say, no, no, you 10 stay. This is for Stetson to walk off the field by himself. And then they did it again on defense for Jalen Carter, and they still didn't understand what was happening. <laughs> like the players on the, the field, only bad thing they did all night. Right, the, Gr- like great communicator. Like the random left guard is still probably like, why the hell did he call that timeout? Yeah. <laughs> what was that about? They're partying, and he just sort of like saunters over to Stetson. He goes, "Hey man, that that weird timeout where you only walked off. What was that?" Yeah, <laughs> I just. It, they got they got rattled early and it just snowballed and that was it. I I'm I'm with you. I don't believe it got that bad, but we watched it and it did and Oof. felt bad. I mean, you you wanted. I mean, we talked about yesterday with the chances of a good game and there probably weren't good chances because there's very few good games in this stuff. The semis were amazing because they were actually close, but no one could have ever come close to predicting. But this. yeah, I like don't it care should, who it, you are, it should have been like forty-five to seventeen. Yeah, where you look yeah. back and like, well, that wasn't a good game, but uh, TCU, you know probably had, you know, three good drives and they forced them to punt three times. This was just every, the best defensive play TCU made was a Georgia touchdown where (laughs) the quarterback almost intercepted the ball, but it was simultaneous possession in the end zone. That was like the best play TCU made on defense the entire game. And it was still a Georgia touchdown. I can't believe it. The funniest part of the game though, the absolute funniest thing is that Fans got rained on inside of SoFi Stadium. Inside of SoFi Stadium. We talked about this last year when there was a lightning delay. And that's why you don't open the Lanai doors. (laughs) (laughs) Last year when there was a lightning delay, because technically it's an outdoor stadium. The roof is not completely enclosed. There's an opening because it's a separate structure that's just sort of on top of the football field. And because of that, because it was raining and windy, rain's coming through this opening and I saw I can't remember who it was tweeted out a picture of some poor person trying to mop up the rain on the concourse <laughs> it's it's this giant concourse it's raining and there's just a woman in a rain jacket with one mop like I got this this is all me and then we saw uh Herb Street say during the game well the only people getting rained on right now are the TCU fans on this side of the field <laughs> Just bad to worse. Just build an indoor stadium. What yeah, are we you doing? Spent, what was it? Four billion? Five billion, Five billion for the billion entire for the whole complex. Because there's a whole bunch of stuff there, apparently. There Five is. I've been billion. there a couple times. It's enormous, and it's over the top. And in the first three years of its existence, there's been a lightning delay, and it's rained inside the concourse. Like it's Oakland Coliseum or something <laughs> like that. Unbelievable. It's it is the funniest thing that I've seen. All right, coming up next, David Roth joins the show. Attack every single day. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Joining us now from Defector is David Roth. David, at what point did you turn off the national championship game? It was like eight PM Eastern time. <laughs> it was pretty early. Uh <laughs> It was just clear. I mean, there was obviously going to be a lot of cool touchdown story, scoring going on. Uh, it was, I think, the score was seventeen seven, where I was sort of like, you know, I'm not going to make my wife watch this and be like, it's important. I have to write about it. Like it was clear where it was going. I just go back and like watch the 
Stetson Bennett sizzle reel at the end of the day. Uh, it, he's fascinating to me. I should probably dislike him in the way that I dislike most national championship quarterbacks, but he somehow has George W. Bush energy, and yet I find him charming. I have no idea how that worked out, but I've, I'm happy for him, I guess. <laughs> the wife doesn't like him. She says he's yeah, way, he's, way too cocky. Yeah, he's got that. It's the same thing as with W, too, because it's like a type of cockiness where it, like, sort of, it looks like he's thinking about something really profound to him. And it's just not. Uh, and then he says, you know, just the most normal football player stuff you can possibly imagine. I, uh, I think it's a weird type of cockiness because, like, you played Zach Wilson when we were coming in. There's, like, the cockiness that really good quarterbacks have. You know, guys that just know that they can make any throw. I think Stetson Bennett sort of knows that he can't make every throw. So he's, he's like, aware in a way that I don't think a lot of your national championship quarterbacks are that, like, from here it's just a long and successful career in wealth management ahead of him um, and probably some camp invites. But it's like if you're not going to play in the NFL, you can only be so brash. All right. Uh, you, you have to assign Zach Wilson and Stetson Bennett to these two categories. Which one? Would you rather be your NFL quarterback, and which one would you rather run a car dealership in your city? Oh God! So you have to wait. You can't pick. You can't like, put I them would... both in the same category. One's got to be your quarterback. One's got to be selling you a car. Hmm. Well, so I've had the Zach Wilson NFL quarterback experience, and I've not had the Zach Wilson uh, Kia experience. Mm-hmm. I think that I would I would have to let Stetson Bennett rock for a year with the Jets and see if uh, Zach's got a special talent for selling sedans and crossover SUVs <laughs> that has not yet been unlocked. I just think it's over for him as a I'm not over for him as an NFL quarterback. He's the third pick of the draft, and he's got to have a chance. But it is uh, it's just not there, man. Like, and it's not there in the sense that like. You can see the limitations on, I think I heard somebody shout out Baker Mayfield in the background there. There's guys where you can see that, like, all right, you're only ever going to get this good. Wilson can make all kinds of throws. He's just uh, weird. And I don't, th- <laughs> I don't think that people really like playing with him, and the decisions that he makes are really bizarre. So, yeah, but we'll see, maybe, but that said, you put him in a Hyundai context, <laughs> and maybe it's totally different. All right. Uh... That's a good question, though. <laughs> It is, yeah. I, I will, I'm not going to take credit for the used car dealership uh, that I definitely stole from Twitter, but Zach Wilson might be selling cars too soon. Yep. Um, I asked you this last week about Carlos Correa, but now we've got Ken Rosenthal <laughs> reporting about the Twins coming back. It, it, are the Twins going to just randomly come out of nowhere again to keep Carlos Correa? I mean, I can't imagine that it's going to happen, and yet I would be lying if I said I wasn't nervous about it a little bit at this point. I mean, it's been, I think it's the 20th day since that signing was announced, which is too many. And the stuff that I'd heard about the deal, which I think I said last week, which is basically that it, the, the Mets deal is going to have a lot of incentives and stuff in it, um, just, and that that takes a lot of lawyers, and it takes everybody's got to touch it two times to make sure that it's completely binding and whatever. That made sense to me. Um, you know, and now it's sort of like I understand that lawyers get paid by the hour. I know that these things are difficult and well above my pay grade. Complete silence for like a total week beyond the fact that like, you know, the reporters who know more than me are saying that another team is back in it. I'm a little rattled by it. I can't this is the thing I fall back on. Like I'll I will share my cope with you and your listeners. 
I can't imagine that Steve Cohen is going to let himself get outbid by the Twins. And I think that he really does seem to want Correa. It seems like the baseball upside has uh, some more doubts about it than he does. And I imagine that that's enough because he owns the team and he's the de facto president of baseball operations. So, like, who's going to overrule him? But every day that goes by, it seems more and more reasonable that, you know, this winds up, if he winds up with the twins on the deal that they offered him, which is I've seen was like 10 years and 285, that's like still a lot of money. It's still a win after an offseason when two teams looked at the plate in his leg and decided that he was uninsurable. I just feel like if Cohen wants him, they're going to wind up with him sooner or later. So if there are incentives, do you think the term changes? I wonder about that. I think that the way that ordinarily it would go would be yes. I think that in this case, the incentives, as I have read it, are going to look more like the incentives in like Byron Buxton's contract and less like the ones in Carlos Correa's, which were basically just a series of opt-outs that you could have. And you know, that's what he did last year. That that deal he signed with the Twins before last season was like three years, $105 million. But you know, if you thought you could get more on the open market, you could leave after one year, which he did. The Buxton deal is all escalators and stuff, for, depending on how many games he plays. So that deal could be worth $100 million. But if also, if Byron Buxton things happen to him, and there's a couple of seasons where he plays 40 games or whatever, he'd get paid much less. I think that the you know the challenge here is that you know Korea has both more and less leverage. I mean, he's the last big free agent on the market, and obviously he's got a very rich and motivated team that wants to sign him. But also, you know, at this point, his medical information is like a matter of public record, and I don't know what uh, Boris would be able to sort of lever out of that. I, the thing, though, with all these deals, it seems like, is that players are willing to take less money per year over the course of a longer term. And as long as there aren't opt-outs or, you know, any of the other things that would truncate a contract, like just in terms of terminating it, I think the money would stay about the same. It's just the thing I wonder about now is, like, is he going to still get 10 or 12 years, because the concern isn't that he's going to break down next year. Cray has actually been really healthy the last few seasons. It's that, like, at some point, it's just going to be impossible for him to play baseball. But it's like a, a David Wright-type endgame. And I haven't seen any indication that that's going to happen, but also, like, I'm not a doctor, so I, I'm just guessing at The more nervous, uh, like, John Heyman and Ken Rosenthal seem, the more nervous <laughs> I get. Uh, who is going to be the worst NBA player to score 50 points in a game this season? So we've been talking about this at work because there's like this crazy rash of 40 and 50 point games. I have like a special place in my heart for weird gunning guards that don't actually help their team scoring 50. Like Brandon Jennings (laughs) is the apex of that. Like the Brandon Jennings 50 point game is like a monumental like, I'll write, like, my Don DeLillo Underworld novel about just that experience. I think that there's a, you know, on Houston, uh, has a lot of guys like that. Uh, Kevin Porter Jr., I think, has had a 40-point game, might have had a 50-point game. Jalen Green, any of those guys who go for a 50-point game on, like, 41 shots and the team loses by 11. Like, I could for sure see that happening in the next week. But it's tough. I mean, like, a lot of it, like, the thing that's blown me away, Jokic had a game yesterday where he had a triple-double and he didn't miss a single shot. 
there's a lot of stuff happening in the NBA that I have not only never seen, but just had sort of passively assumed was impossible. And <laughs> that seems to be happening on like a twice a week basis now. My my favorite part about ridiculous stat lines is when it is this. The only time this has happened was Wilt Chamberlain in 1962. Yes, and baseball is great for that because you do get like the tungsten arm O'Doyle thing. Like Otani's given so much of that, where it's like the last time a guy hit a homer and threw a shutout in the same game, like uh, the measles epidemic had killed millions. <laughs> it was just all complete. The history of it is so long. But yes, with basketball, when you're back to the like guys playing in just boxer briefs in gyms, like somehow every game was played in Philadelphia, like the prehistory of the sport. There's been a lot of basketball played since then. Like, Michael Jordan played some of it. So when it's happening, <laughs> there's stuff that hasn't gone down since the 1950s. Like, that is mind-blowing. The worst player to score 50 so far this year is probably Darius Garland. And Garland's good. Right. It's but the, that the 50 is, list like, this year is really good. is a lot. I don't want to make a distinction between scoring 40 and scoring 50 because, like, both are extremely hard and things that I couldn't do. Like, if left alone in a gym for an hour, I couldn't <laughs> probably do it. But, yeah, like that, as it sort of starts to inflate, I think the thing that I'd seen that was explaining it most convincingly to me, I think it was John Hollinger, is that basically it's that really good shooters are taking more shots. That's where the 40 and 50 point games are coming from. That it's not necessarily fluky, and it's not even all just like, button mashing corner threes like it was, you know, or like the game felt like a few years ago. It's just that teams are like, if Donovan Mitchell is good, the Cavs are going to have him shoot 35 times and that'll get you there. Like, even though some of those shots are now like the sort of contested twos that are supposed to be, you know, out of favor. Took the NBA a hundred years to figure out, Hey, your best player should shoot a lot. Uh, I I love it. It's like with the (laughs) Warriors, like when they, when they won and Joe Lacob, was like, we got our information sciences team together. We figured out that three is a larger number than two. <laughs> this was huge for us. Like, I know, man, like, we're at the kindergarten, too. We've all, we've all figured this out. Well, he is David Roth from Defector. David, as always, we Thanks, appreciate David. it. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Uh, so there's David Roth. Um, yeah, so, so far, the 50-point games, Darius Garland probably is the worst player because it's, I mean, it's Donovan Mitchell, Luka Doncic, Joel Embiid, Devin Booker, Giannis. Anthony Davis, Clay Thompson. Well, Thompson actually is probably the worst player this season to do it because Clay Thompson's not quite the same. But it's uh, ridiculous how many games they've had with 50 points or more. All right, coming up next, we'll jump into some college basketball because there's a big game at the top of the Mountain West tonight. 80 to 76, 33 seconds to go. Harkless inbound for the Rebels. Harkless. Gets it into Rodriguez. Oh, my gosh. That was the quickest five seconds. That's count. the quickest five seconds I've ever seen. That's the quickest five seconds I've ever seen. And that's what EJ's saying. So the Rebels turn it over, leading 80 to 76 with 33 seconds to go. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. Tonight in the Mountain West. Nevada plays San Diego State. Nevada is up to 60th in Ken Palm. They're 14-3. and They're 4-0 in the Mountain West. But San Diego State, uh, top 20 in Ken Palm, by the way. San Diego State is still projected to win by about seven points, according to Ken Palm. Uh, Nevada's last game, they beat San Jose State 67-40. to Nevada had a 25-0 run in the first half. 
of that game. That's almost well, it is. It's impossible. Yeah, twenty-five. It's impossible. Right. That's essentially what Georgia did to TCU for the entire game. You're going to get night. fouled taking a shot if you're San Jose State. You're going to get right. a free throw. Something's going to happen to where. Yeah, that's like Georgia TCU last yeah. night. Twenty-five nothing's insane, and especially for a San Jose State team that's been Pretty very good. competitive. Yeah, yeah I mean, very obviously they beat UNLV, but they've been competitive. One at Colorado State. Yeah, and they gave up a twenty-five nothing run yeah. to Nevada. So, uh, let me let me ask you a a prediction type question here. Nevada wins tonight. There, it's in San Diego. If Nevada wins. Are we now talking about them as a top two or three team in this conference? Yeah. I mean, you said it yesterday. There's just a certain amount of places, uh, the Pitt, Logan, San Diego, that are kind of these huge, huge opportunities for these teams to go. Now, we were talking specifically about UNLV yesterday. But you go into San Diego this year, they're ranked 23rd now. They got back in the rankings. Like you said, they're top 20. Ken, they're, I think, top in the 20s in net, I want to say. The highest net ranked team. Yeah. I think you. that's one not a lot of people are going to get. Yeah. You don't put that down as, oh, we're going to go in there and win. So, yeah, I think that 5-0 and with a win there puts them top three discussion for sure. So the interesting part, uh, if you start looking at Nevada in the same way that we look at UNLV or New Mexico, and that is, hey, what's like your NCAA tournament resume? Their best win so far this season is either a home win against Boise State or a neutral court win over Tulane. Okay. Like, they they do not have a lot of good wins. good wins on the season at all. Every other, like, they did play Kansas State, who's top 30. They did play Oregon, who's just outside the top 50. Lost them? But they lost those games, right? The, the K-State game wasn't overtime, so they were close, but it wasn't overtime. But they don't, they, they don't actually have, like, a, a significant win. If they win at San Diego State, then they have one. And they their resume, if they're able to beat San Diego State, their resume starts to look a lot like UNLV's. Yes. Where you have a good win-loss record, but you don't actually have a lot of quality. But No, but you picked one up. But UNLV picked up the New Mexico win. And, and if, this one would have been San Diego State. Right. I think UNLV's resume would still be a little bit stronger because like the Dayton win is probably uh, better than anything else Nevada's done. But their resume would start to look a lot like UNLV, and it puts them in the NCAA tournament conversation. Yeah. I, I'll be honest. I haven't seen them play, so I don't Neither know I. how good they I are. I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll watch them tonight, and maybe tomorrow I'll give you a better idea, but I still just in general kind of expect San Diego State to suffocate this game and and win it, maybe not easily, but win it you know comfortably. It's not a final possession type of game, but... That's sort of my expectation for what San Diego State does in Nevada, even though I haven't seen them play until I'll watch them tonight. But it's a this conference is weird. I don't know what to do with it. I feel like we could have if things went well, the Mountain West could have like five teams. Yeah, four or five teams in the NCAA tournament. But I don't think things can go well enough for that to happen. Seth Davis said the other day he thinks five teams could get. Yeah, like like there's gonna be. I mean, somebody, enough teams are going to have enough conference losses that they're not actually going to be in the conversation. Right. But there's going to, like right now, throw Nevada in there. Because if they win tonight, they're absolutely jumping into that conversation. There's legitimately like five or six teams in this conference that think right now, hey, we we put together a good six, seven games in a row here. We're NCAA tournament level. I mean, San Diego State, Utah State, New Mexico, Boise State, UNLV, Nevada. Like that's... 
Am I forgetting? I might be forgetting somebody too. Like that's six teams in this conference that all think, "Hey, we put this together, right? We We're can gonna, get in." Yeah. And again, teams are going to lose to each other. Somebody, you know, of those six teams, somebody's finishing at like seven and eleven in conference play because you can't. Not everybody can win. And here's where I think the issue comes into play: teams like UNLV, teams like New Mexico, played such a bad non-conference schedule that they're not going to survive if they go 9-9 nine and nine in right. the Mountain West. Like, if UNLV in New Mexico, even if they had lost a couple more games, but if they had played a really hard non-conference schedule, if they had played, like, four or five teams in the top 50. And been 10-4. and four. Right. And, like, obviously, you don't win as many, but you pick up some quality wins, and your metrics all look better because of that. Then you could maybe, UNLV could maybe survive going 9-9 nine and nine or 10-8 and eight in Mountain West play and still have a shot to get in because they would have done something. But because UNLV and New Mexico didn't do much of anything in the non-conference, you have to they be They have awesome. to be really good in the Mountain West. And only a couple of teams can be really good in the right. Mountain West. It's just the reality of it. But it's a, I like right now, who wins the conference? San Diego State? All right. All right. <laughs> I, that was more of a question than a I mean, statement. Yeah, I mean, okay, let's say San Diego State Thanks, wins. Ed. <laughs> Who's second best? I, I've got to be honest. And and they just here's the thing. I was shocked at the score at Boise, eighty-two uh, fifty-nine. Going into the league, I thought Utah State might be the second best, but they go to Boise and they lose eighty-two to fifty-nine. Right. That's that's what right. shocked me. And like, I personally don't think New Mexico is as good. As not the team we saw the other do. night, right? No, I not think the team we saw like the they're other fine, night. but I don't think right. they're top end. And then it gets you to like, okay, is I, Boise State there? Is UNLV there? Is Nevada going to be with the you. second? I'm best with team? you. I haven't seen Nevada. Right. I don't know anything. I, I just know their record. So there's like, even if you give San Diego State first, which we maybe shouldn't do, there's still there's five teams that you're like, okay, uh, you could go twelve and six and be the second best team in mm-hmm. this conference and. Uh, all five, all of those teams could also go seven and eleven and uh, be the six seed. The Mountain West tournament, like this damn six seed, is going to win the Mountain West right. tournament. It's what's going to happen because the difference between two and six is going to be nothing. And if Wyoming gets the big back, oh god, the nine seed wins the Mountain yes. West tournament. <laughs>